0: This this first Toyota Land Cruiser I think is super cool. I I would like to have it if I if I could. It it just looks so awesome and strong and stout. Uh, I had taken that picture in Venezuela and and that next one I also took in Venezuela. I, I rode in that um, jalopy or jalopy or does anybody know that word like jalopy? I, in, in Spanish, whenever you have a word that starts with a J, you pronounce it, huh, and so wh- if you want to laugh in Spanish, you, you do J-A-J-A-J-A instead of H, but anyways, <laughs> that's why I thought it was jal- or jal- jal- <laughs> Um But that, that car that I, I had r- ridden in reminded me a lot of this car, which is a Dodge Dart, 1979 um 6 cylinder uh the the gear changer was like on the floor and the the third gear was where the fourth gear was supposed to be and the fourth gear was where the third gear was supposed to be but i inherited this car Th- this car uh was my dad's ever since i was born and i practically was born in the back seat there of that car and um when i went to be a missionary out in the jungle city of San Jose in Colombia, uh, my dad he gave me my inheritance and uh, I was able to take that car down to San Jose and I had quite a quite a few experiences with it, but it was a cool car I mean it it was a very strong engine unfortunately it it drank tons of gas and so that was a high cost that I had to um, pay, but uh, it has a big motor and so it was relatively easy to work on and uh, has a big trunk so we were able to fit a lot of stuff in the back and fit a lot of people. Uh, I think the record was once we had about 10 people inside of that car and maybe the regulations in Colombia aren't as strict as here in the States and so I was able to get away with a lot of stuff. I want to show you a few pictures though of this car. This was when we were taking some clothing to a uh displaced community there in in San Jose. Um here we see another picture of the motor. Uh it was often giving me trouble and so I don't know very much about mechanics, but I had to pick up a few things here and there just to maybe try to figure stuff out. Th- these were some of my friends that were just riding on the hood as I was cruising along town <laughs> once. Um And and this right here uh, was a picture that was taken when we were coming back from an indigenous community. And that couple off to the left, um, I didn't know them, and they just happened to be visiting that indigenous community when I went to go visit with my friends who were all on the car to our right. And since they were going back to town, I offered to, to bring them with us. And so... As we were driving back, we got into this hole, and we got stuck there, and it was really annoying. Um, it, was, it was too late at night to, to have some four-wheeler come and drag us out, and so we had to walk back in the rain. And then the next day, this four-wheeler came, and finally it hauled us out. So uh, that was the end of the story. But it was a really interesting way to get to know this couple that I had invited to take back to town. Because when you're stuck in a hole, then you have a lot of time to talk and share the gospel. This was another trip I took from Bogota to San Jose, which was a nine-hour trip. And in that trip, I got uh, a tire flat, the engine overheated, and the muffler fell off. (laughs) <laughs> so that was all very exciting as well to keep things interesting. This was this was a picture we took once after a youth group that uh I was taking a few people back home and then we got stuck in another huge hole of mud <coughs> and it took us like hours but finally we were able to get enough momentum to push it out of the mud and it was it was actually kind of a fun experience to be honest. We were having A lot of fun just joking around and getting all muddy now this this last story took place when uh, i went with some friends on a fishing trip out to a lagoon a few hours outside of town and so this was out in the middle of nowhere and we got stuck in this big pile of mud as we were leaving our camping trip and we were hoping to make it back to town, but remember, we were about two hours away from town and we got stuck in here out in the middle of nowhere where there weren't practically any vehicles that were passing by and much less a vehicle with four-wheel drive that could haul us out. And so I had five other friends and we all basically needed to start to work together to get this super heavy vehicle out of the mud. And so we uh, used boards, we used rocks, we used jacks, we would push uh, one way and we would barely make any traction and then we would try to push it back the other way and we wouldn't get very far. And, and, and remember that after a camping trip you haven't slept very well and we hadn't eaten very well either. We had eaten a bit of fish that we had caught and so we were all very um, prone to getting ticked off with one another. We were very eager to start fighting in the midst of this huge struggle. We would start even um, disregarding each other and uh, speaking poorly uh, of the other person. Like, you're so dumb, don't put that there. Like, move this here. And, and, and it just became a very, very stressful environment. I, I remember it very well. And I was uh, frustrated and I was just like, this is crazy. I mean, I don't know what we're going to do to get out of here. Like, this isn't going anywhere. Finally, I, I just got so frustrated, I, I got out of the car, and I just started walking to the nearest road. And I was like, I'm just going to wait here until a, a four-wheel drive comes and it can help us out. Like, this is useless to keep insulting each other and, and try to push this car out, and it's not moving anywhere. So I'm giving up. And so I, I went to the road. And as I was walking, one of my friends He came behind me. He's like, what's your problem, man? Are you serious? Why are you going to go and try to wait for a car that's never going to show up? We have to go back and we have to work together. We have to keep trying. We have to keep pushing and pulling and putting logs and boards and rocks and do anything we can. But we can't give up. We have to work together. And even though I didn't want to believe him, I knew that he was right. And so I willingly and grudgingly accepted his (laughs) admonition, and and we went back and we kept working at it for a while, and eventually, um, the car managed to get out. And it was the most amazing feeling I had ever experienced. Like, after two hours of pushing and pulling and prying, uh, finally, the tires, they just, made contact with solid ground and you could feel all all that slime and all that mud just flying around everywhere as I was like flooring the engine and I I could feel it I mean I could feel it in my bones it was it was so amazing to finally have gotten out of that big pile of muck and um, to realize that us the the six great amigos we had all worked together to accomplish something that was important. We, we were in a tough situation, but we struggled through it and we made it out. And at times we would only like push forward about five inches, and then we would have to push backward about eight inches, but that gave us three inches more of momentum for which to push to make it a little bit further next time. And, 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 and what I'm getting with all of this is that sometimes in my own life, I feel kind of like I'm in a struggle similar to this one sometimes I feel like I'm I'm pushing and like trying my hardest and I'm like barely making it anywhere and then all of a sudden I'm going backwards but then I try again and the Lord gives me the strength and I, I start making it a little bit further now some interesting lessons From this experience is that one even though i was stressed out and my friends and i weren't treating each other with respect and i was very frustrated with them while we were in the midst of this whole ordeal at the end of it i started loving them more than i had at the beginning why because we had accomplished something together and that bonding experience made us closer. And so from there on out, every time we remembered the situation, we would always laugh and kind of make jokes about it. But, but there was something that took place in the midst of that struggle that made us feel closer. In the same way, I, I even started appreciating my car a little bit better. You can go way back. Like all these pictures are uh, very interesting, but not quite what I'm wanting to get at right now. <laughs> um, so... We had managed to um, accomplish something together, and uh, I had also started to appreciate my '79 uh, Dodge Dart, four-on-the-floor, straight-six-cylinder uh, car that I had inherited from my dad. I, I started appreciating it even more once I had gotten out of that huge mess. Now, the that next picture there was a picture of a couple guys wrestling, right, and when we read Genesis chapter 32 we see that Jacob wrestles with God and this is one of the most random <laughs> passages one of the most interesting passages that I, I know of in the Bible and to think that a man could wrestle with God is just fascinating to me and In Genesis 32, verses 22 and forward, it says, The same night Jacob arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. So, the, the context for this story is that after years of having been separated from his twin brother Esau, uh, he was finally going to reunite with him. And they had been in enmity for years and years and years. Obviously, uh, Esau had a lot of reasons to be very much against his twin brother because not only had he tricked him out of his inheritance, but then he also managed to trick him out of the blessing that his father was going to give him. And so Esau wanted revenge, and Jacob knew that very well. And here is this uh, encroaching or uh, an encounter that is about to ensue, and he's freaked out. He's he's totally scared uh, for his own life. And so he he almost seems kind of like a coward, and he sends... His wives and his servants and his children all ahead of him to kind of uh, lull um, Esau in his anger to kind of soothe him a little bit before he actually has this encounter with his brother that he had been um, in like uh, a struggle with or had, had basically had some pretty rough family history. In the background there and 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 so we read that he was left alone after everyone had gone on they had passed the the river this the the ford the stream jacob he was left alone there by himself and then it says in verse 24 a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day when the man saw that he did not prevail against him jacob he touched him in his hip socket and jacob's hip was put out of his joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. And Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it you ask my name? And there he blessed him, so Jacob called the name of that place Piniel, saying, "For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered um, the 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 obvious conclusion is that um God had somehow incarnated himself in what's known as a christophany in this moment and He was the one that was wrestling with Jacob throughout this whole night right before he was going to meet up with his brother Esau. And um, to think that they were wrestling for practically 12 hours and that uh, Jacob was struggling so much that he never called uncle. He never gave up on the struggle and he was constantly fighting to prevail um, until finally he was able to receive a blessing that's what he wanted he wanted to receive a blessing uh, from this man and he perhaps didn't even know exactly who he was fighting with at the time but later it was revealed to him that he was fighting against god himself and and to think that our relationship with god can be something like a struggle is I think, a pretty accurate description of my own relationship with him. I mean, maybe sometimes in church or in our meetings, we've, we've come to perceive our relationship with God as being um, very spiritual, which it is, um, but somehow kind of unrelated to our reality that we live in day by day. And somehow we're disconnected from that, that fact that in fact God is with us in every aspect of our lives. And every struggle that we face, it isn't that God is far from us in the midst of that. Rather, I would even argue that perhaps it's when he's closest to us when we're struggling. And just like in this, in this story, Jacob had a huge fear that was imminent. And yet in the midst of that struggle was when he found God and when he uh, was able to hold on to him. <laughs> he was not willing to let go. Uh, sometimes it, it makes me so sad when I hear that as people are going through difficult times in their life, They give up on God when that's perhaps the time that they should most cling to him and that's perhaps the time that they can most get to know him and that's perhaps the time that God can reveal himself to us is when we are going through those struggles when we are going through those difficulties he isn't absent from that reality in our life in fact he he wants us to struggle with him in the midst of it just like jacob struggled here uh with jesus as he was in um this really desperate situation and and he had something to remember it by i have a few pictures to remember this struggle but jacob he he got his hip socket all messed up and so from there on out he was walking limp and he had that to remind himself that he had struggled with god like How many scars do we have that remind us of some instance in our life when we were able to interact with God? Um, Instead of having scars to be ashamed about, I have quite a few myself. um, Maybe those scars could remind us of Jesus' scars. Because Jesus had a few scars, and um, those scars he. Uh, Has precisely because he loved us so much and he struggled for us and he prevailed and he was victorious Um, Jacob here what he desired was a blessing and The the first time we read about this concept of a blessing is when we think about Abraham who was Jacob's uh, ancestor and Abraham he was blessed by God so that then he could be a blessing to others. And as we uh, dissect this concept of struggling, we're going to start to see that even the struggles that we do have can be used by God so that with the comfort that we have received from God, then we can comfort others in the midst of the struggles that they face. And so they work together for good. All things work together for good is what... um, the Bible says in Romans, and um, I think that as we let that come to light, even in the midst of the the darkest moments of our lives, when we feel overwhelmed and we're losing hope, that's when we most need to cling to our Father, cling to God and to His promises. It was interesting the other day I was talking to Nate Bramson and. Uh, I was asking him if he had any long-term game plan, and um, he told me, Sam, there's been two times in my life that I've felt really overwhelmed in ministry. Once I was in Calcutta, and the other time I was in Bangladesh. And just to see the poverty and to see the, the tremendous need of the gospel and to just try to help out in so many ways, he was telling me that he was just like <laughs> like floored by the situation and and so he said i kind of want to go to bangladesh <laughs> and i was like okay that that's interesting like the place that you're most overwhelmed by that's where you want to go and in thinking about it it it's it's an interesting way of living you know like instead of trying to like go wherever it's most comfortable and wherever it's easiest rather you would want to go where it's hardest i don't know why he feels that way i know that he cares deeply about the world and about the needs that uh, others face and so he wants to uh, be a part of that and he wants to be god's vessel to to bring um relief to others and to to point them to christ but i suspect that when he's really overwhelmed he's also feeling really close to god and that's that's perhaps what's drawing him to a situation like that obviously i mean i don't know that any of this is official but it's just a a random idea that he had in his mind and so don't don't quote me on that necessarily (laughs) i don't know what he'll be doing in the future but i know that it's in it's in the back of his mind in in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 in verses 8 and onward Paul here is is writing to the church in Corinth and he says for we do not want you to be unaware brothers of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Um, Paul here, he's he's talking about some sort of experience that he had while he was in Ephesus going about his missionary endeavors. And the, the wording he uses to describe this experience is remarkable. He says um, that he was afflicted in Asia and he was so utterly burdened beyond his own strength that he even started to despair of life itself. Can you imagine that? Like whatever situation Paul is referring to here, it was so serious and it was so dramatic that he almost thought he was going to die. He was like, I don't really think I'm going to make it out of this one. I've, I've made it out by the skin of my teeth in quite a few other occasions. I've, I've been beaten. I've been whipped. I've been shipwrecked. I've had people persecute me. I've been stoned but I'm not sure I'm going to get out of this one. (laughs) Like, in fact, I, I, I might die here. And what he says is that despite all of this, God delivered him, and the reason being was so that he would not rely on himself, but on God himself. And if God can raise the dead, then He could even get Paul out of that really gnarly situation because um, God is powerful to do so. And when you're in a state of desperation, perhaps that's when you finally decide to depend on God because there's nowhere else to turn. And it seemed like he experienced that. It says, He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Um, The Lord effectively had come to his help in a time of need and Paul had placed his hope on Christ. And he knew that just like he had delivered him, Previously, he will deliver him again. And he's requesting here to the church in Corinth, hey guys, pray for me. I need it. I I need your help because I know that I'm weak. And I have a mission where I want to bring the gospel to others. And if that's accomplished, both through the power of God and through your prayers, then others will give thanks. For the blessing that they will receive remember that Jacob he was fighting for a blessing here it seems like Paul he's fighting for a blessing for others he's willing to sacrifice his own life his own comfort his own um I guess sense of having everything under control so for the sake of the gospel that others may partake in its blessings and that attitude is, is very inspiring for me. I, I read that, and I'm like, I'm pathetic, you know? <laughs> Sometimes I'm like, man, I'm, uh, I'm like some kind of uh, lame-sauce missionary, like complaining about cars. When, when Paul, man, he, he almost died. And yet, in that moment, he he clung to God even more in these other pictures i was just showing them because uh i i don't know if you maybe you could show me some of these pictures bro (laughs) thanks uh this was like a 35 hour bus ride that i was on from this one border town of venezuela back to bogota and i was exhausted in that trip and um it was on a dirt road for hours and hours and hours and like, I was like, what am I doing here? I'm out I'm <laughs> in the middle of nowhere. This is crazy. Uh, and then this next picture, when I was in Venezuela, like just about every time I go into Venezuela, the vehicle I'm in breaks down. And often it's in the middle of nowhere. And it's in this really sketchy country where there's uh, a military that is always on your back. And sometimes I'm just like, what am I getting myself into here? I don't know if this is, <laughs> this is a good deal, um, this, this next picture. But, th- but this is what's interesting. See, when I was in that bus, and when I was in this like, really awkward and uncomfortable situation, there was another military young guy that was um, going to uh, go back home for like a leave of absence for a few days. And it just so happened we were on the same bus. And normally, I would never have the opportunity to share the gospel to someone in the armed forces of Venezuela. Like, they're enemies in many ways, right? But yet, they need the gospel just as much as anyone else. And I had that opportunity to share the gospel because I was in this really uncomfortable bus. Had I not been in that uncomfortable bus, I wouldn't have had the opportunity to share the gospel with him. And not only him, but here we have some more pictures. All these other um, people besides the guy in the white shirt, he's he's my friend from Colombia, they were all military soldiers also. And they were young guys and girls uh, about... 18, 19, 20 years old, and I don't know that they really believe in all the socialistic propaganda that Maduro is trying to brainwash them with. I think they're mostly just trying to survive. They're just trying to have a job that they can make enough money in to provide for their family, and so they're sucked in this system that's terrible. And I, and I feel compassion for them. I I feel sorry for them, um, but in the midst of it, I, I was able to point them to Jesus because Jesus, he goes beyond political boundaries. Jesus goes beyond political ideologies. And we need to share the gospel with everyone, indifferent of their race or their background or uh, their culture. Everyone uh, needs the gospel. And I want them to partake in those blessings that is promised through Jesus Christ. Um... And we can stop showing those pictures, but I just wanted to give you a glimpse there of some more things to come in the uh, lunch that we're going to have with more pictures and more stories to tell. But in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7, it says, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power ...belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that in the life of Jesus... Also, may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So, death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written I believed, and so I spoke, we also believe, and so we also speak, knowing that He who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into His presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, It may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are are eternal, so th- this is a beautiful passage here where Paul he's saying that all these struggles, all these difficulties, they aren't enough for him to be destroyed. Why? Because he's placed his hope in Jesus Christ, and this isn't like some kind of wishy-washy hope that oh man, I wish someday uh, I'll be able to buy. A like really sweet car or something like that. I hope someday I get to go and visit uh, Coldplay, or I hope someday I can go and uh, like play a professional sport or something like that. This is this is a hope built on Christ, on the promise that we have eternal life with Him, on the fact that He has already. Um, defeated death he's defeated satan he's defeated sin and he is now at the right hand of god and that we too will be with him um and so what what he says there in verse 11 is kind of tricky that for we who live are always being given over to death for jesus's sake so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. I think what what Paul's getting at here is that when, when Jesus died, he died for us. He died for our benefit. And so Paul here is imitating Jesus in a way by also suffering for the church in Corinth so that they can receive the benefits of the gospel. And um they have this spirit of faith that carries him forward, and his desire is that the grace of God will extend to more and more people, and therefore increase Thanksgiving. We were celebrating Thanksgiving just a couple weeks ago, and uh, it's cool to to be able to celebrate that. I love Thanksgiving, and I love being with my family, and I love eating turkey, and Uh, Being able to stop and say thank you, God, for all these things that you've given to me. But how much cooler would it be if the whole world was celebrating Thanksgiving? Not just America, not just my own family. But if I was generous enough to share the blessings that I've already received with God, then Thanksgiving will just increase all the more. And so... I want to go out and I want to share to more and more people um, these things that God has given me I don't want to be someone who is stingy with what God has given me but rather like a canal of blessing much like Abraham that he was blessed so as to be a blessing and as others receive Christ they too will have this Thanksgiving um, I'm starting to get a little bit old. I, I remember uh, playing basketball with some of these young guys at camp and realizing that they've got game. And I'm I'm starting to lose my game. <laughs> um, and I'm realizing that my body is wasting away. And even when I'm on these trips, I get exhausted. And I'm, I'm tired. And I'm worn out. And I never used to feel that way. And, and even when I eat, I start to gain a lot more weight than what I used to. But, as my body is wasting away, my inner self is being renewed day by day because i'm I'm getting closer i'm I'm approaching that day when I will see Christ face to face, and that inspires me when I was driving up from atlanta uh i I drove about twelve hours straight, and after a while you're you're just starting to go a little crazy and you're just like restless to finally make it to the destination? Well, I'm staying at the CMML Guest House. And I don't know if any of you have been there, but it's a really posh place. It's, it's very elegant and nice and comfortable. And and as I was driving, I, I would just remind myself, hey, I'm about to go to this really awesome mansion. And so <laughs> what what is all this, like, complaining about something that's so insignificant? Like, I'm not going to I'm not going to pull over and just sleep in my car when I have a mansion that's waiting for me. Like, I may sleep maybe 10 minutes just to get, get back in the game, but what I'm really interested in is making it to my destination. See, and in life, <coughs> when we have this hope in Christ, we realize that every affliction is, is kind of petty. It's kind of trivial in light of the prize that awaits us in Christ and and the opportunity to go to his mansion. It says that Jesus himself when he was with his disciples, he was like, I know that you're all going to be faced with a lot of trials and afflictions, but don't worry. One, you're going to have my holy spirit, and two, remember that I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. I'm the builder and the architect. Of this new city which has foundations and it's nothing like anything you've experienced here on earth it's way better like don't get so concerned about all these small things that this world has to offer when in fact I have something that will that I will give to you that is far better and in fact we have already even received through Christ We have already received eternal life. And it's just a matter of (coughs) um, being able to come to that point of experiencing it in its fullness as we see Christ face to face. In, In Philippians 3, I know that you guys have been studying the book of Philippians, but in verse 12 of Philippians 3, Paul says, Not that I have already obtained all this, Or am already made perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining toward what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Um, Paul here, he's saying, look, I'm saved by the work of Christ, and that to me is the most precious thing that I have. In fact, he considered everything else rubbish, all his own uh, righteousness, all his, his good deeds. It was like garbage compared to the greatness of knowing Christ and being found in him. And having obtained that, because by faith we do in fact obtain a true relationship with Christ he still wasn't content see he still kept persevering he still kept pressing on to make that salvation his own he had already won the salvation in Christ but now he wanted to fully like experience it even in this race, in this race of life. And so he was straining ahead. He was looking towards the goal. He was, he was going for the prize. He wasn't getting discouraged. In another pi- part, he says that Jesus himself has already ran the race before us. And so we look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And he's our inspiration to, to keep persevering, to keep going through it. If he managed to, to finish that race, then we will be able to also. I, I ran a few marathons when I was in college and... I was able to run the Boston Marathon, even. And I remember some of my mentality while I was running this race, and I just wanted to give up. I would be like, you're such a wimp, man. People have, people have struggled a lot more than you have. And there's Kenyans that, that run practically barefoot, and they're starving to death. And they're finishing their marathon with like a two hour and 10 minute time. And you can't even finish with a three hour time and like and and you get bananas and you're you're wearing asics so so i'd like try to psych myself out and i'm like oh yeah i'm not i'm not struggling that much and so i like try to keep running and and honestly one of the the biggest encouragements for me while i'm running is just the fact that as soon as i finish this is i'm i'm gonna be able to rest and so the quicker i finish the better right and so, so also in life, we just got to keep persevering and keep fighting and know that the rest is going to be all the more sweeter if uh, we make it there into the presence of Christ and we know that we gave it our, our all. We don't want to show up there and be like, yeah, I, I, I kind of tried a few things. No, man, I, w- I want to make it to heaven and be like, I poured everything I had out because i believed in you and because i love you and because you're so worth it jesus you know that that i think should should be our our mindset i think that should be what we're shooting for and i don't i don't claim to be perfect either paul paul himself he was he was a lot more godly than i am but he himself said i don't claim to have already obtained this but I'm holding on to that that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Remember Jacob. He was holding on to um, God. And in the midst of that struggle, he was not going to give up. He kept holding on until he could receive that blessing. So if any of you guys don't think this way and you think you're mature, well then if you're so mature, then you're going to realize that you're not mature. (laughs) That's what Paul's essentially saying here. He says, let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that (laughs) also to you. (laughs) So, So Paul's basically saying like, look, a mature way to view life is that we haven't fully arrived. And so if you think you're mature and you think that you have arrived, in fact, you're not mature. But if you realize that you're not mature, then that, in fact, is a mature way to live. You know, it's, it's kind of uh, circular reasoning, but it makes sense what he's saying. And um, we, we live in such a way that we would uh, hold true to that which we have obtained. To, to think that we are justified in Christ, to think that we are holy in Christ, to think that we are his children, those are remarkable truths. And I, I mean, I compare that to my own life, and I'm like, well, I mean, that, that's what it says in the Bible, but how, how true is that in my day-to-day experience? And yet, realizing that this reality of what I have received in Christ is evident for eternity, then here on this earth, I'm wanting to make it my own. And um, I'm already declared holy in in God's sight, but I'm in a process of sanctification until I'll be able to see him face to face. So um, let's pray. Dear Lord, I, I thank you for uh, these examples, both of Paul and of Jacob, that they weren't perfect guys. They had uh, plenty of faults themselves and I think that they knew it more than anyone and we come before you knowing that we're not perfect and that we have plenty of things that we need to deal with our own life but we come in faith realizing that who we are because of Jesus Christ is enough for us to be accepted in your presence and for us to Cling to these truths that we are your children and that we have been justified and declared holy. Uh, We just want to live up to that here on this earth. And perhaps even in the midst of these struggles, uh, we give you thanks because it's making us more like you. And perhaps because we're able to experience you even closer. And uh, with the same comfort that you are giving us in the midst of these struggles uh, help us to also uh, think of how we can comfort others and know that all things work together for good, um, that all these light and momentary afflictions don't even come close to the glory that we have in you. So we look forward uh, in hope to the promises that you have given us and everything else we consider garbage. We, we leave it behind and we strain towards the goal in Christ who has gone before us. In his name we pray, amen.